I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will Most of you have uh, been here every evening for Bible school, so I probably don't have to mention anything about the uh, jar back there that you can give money to the speakers because uh, you've heard it before, so I'm not going to say anything else about it. If you'd like to give to the speakers, it's back there. We will also be taking an offering later at uh, intermission in the middle for the Christian Aid Project with uh, water systems in Yemen. If you were not here before, uh, on Tuesday night it was and you would like to give tonight or give again, that is fine to Weavertown Ministries if you have a check. And uh, after tonight, we will have uh, the ice cream party will be over at uh, in the gym, uh, hopefully outside, I'm not sure what the weather, but inside the gym if the weather is, uh, if it's raining. The other thing with that, they will be cutting all of their little station cycles five minutes short, so the, dra the drama skit's gonna start at eight and go to like 8.20 and then ice cream party after that. That way they can still go home in good time. So for us here, we'll be ending normal time. But if you really want to get in on the drama skit, I think they're studying the life of Jesus tonight. And if you want to get in on the skit, you'll want to leave soon after 8 for this skit over there. Otherwise, uh, John will end here normal time, 8.20. It's fine. And then you can head over there for the ice cream party if you like. Or find somebody to get it for you, I guess. It works as well. And then uh, most of the children being picked up normal time, 8.45-ish. Uh, how many of you have been here every night? Perfect attendance. Where are we? Hey, wow. Good job. These are the people that listen well the first evening. Good job. All right. First session we have Chris uh, till for his last evening until 7.40. And then a uh, short break. And then at the end of the break, uh, we'll have another song and the offering. And then uh, John will have his final session tonight. And John, when you're done, if you want to close in prayer and dismiss as well. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Thank you, Lord, for this evening again. Thank you so much for the rain uh, and for cooler weather. And thank you that we could come to Bible school again. Uh, pray for John and, uh, John and Chris as they share. Bless them. And uh, bless Dave for his uh, involvement as well and for what he shared the last two evenings. And uh, just give us uh, attention, attentiveness, and uh, we can enjoy and take something home with us again tonight. Thank you for Bible school and that we can do this and uh, for the fun time we can have as a church uh, with Summer Bible School. Pray for the children, bless their evening, and keep them safe as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening again. It's good to be here. It's good that it's the last night. I'll be happy after this. I'm, I'm happy already, but this will be nice. 
It's been, it's been enjoyable for me. I, I enjoy study and uh, kind of took the week off just to study and learn and dig deeper. And <clears throat> so that's been a, a fun exercise to uh, dig deeper into some of these topics. And, and one night we talked about the Jewish idea of learning or study uh, is, is the highest form of worship. So I guess I had a good week of worship this week. <laughs> Um, it, was a, it was a good week. Um, a couple years ago, we had an event at our house in the basement where we uh, <clears throat> invited uh, the Bethel Youth Group and some Somali friends and people, and we had a meal together. We said, okay, we're gonna, we want the Somalis to provide food, and we're going to invite our friends. We're going to sit on the floor. We're going to eat like they do, and so they you know, put stuff on the floor and big pots and you just eat out of the pot and whatever, you know. And so uh, afterwards we were talking about ancestors. And uh, Mustafa was a guy that worked for me for, a number, for some years. And, and he said he could name all of his ancestors back, I forget, 20 generations or something like that. Like, wow. And he knew stories about, you know, people in his ancestry and whatever. And uh, I said, I, really, I want to hear this. I want to hear what you have to say. You know, I want to hear your, your ancestry. I want you to, you know, say it. And I, and I said, I'm Benimals get Stevie's Chris. You know, that's, that's who I am. I'd like to hear yours. I was looking at it tonight. I'm actually Nicholas is Christian's Christian's John Hughes. John's Benimals get Stevie's Chris. That's the one side. Or on the other side, I'm Peter's, what is it? Peter's, John Samuel's, David's, Christian's Chris, Anna's Chris. And then if you follow another track, it goes back to this man by the name of Lud Ludwig, Ludwig Riel, who uh, was out, his, his father died, and uh, he was out selling cookies, and he ended up on a ship, and uh, the ship left for America, and he was on it, and he went to the captain and said, I'm not supposed to be on here. I'm sure he wasn't, he wasn't laughing. Uh, I was like, sorry, it's too late, and so he ends up in Philadelphia, or in, like, in America, and uh, somebody took him on as an indentured servant. Um, and one day he was walking, I think it was in Philly or somewhere, and he saw this Amish man, and he said, well, that looks like somebody from my hometown. And so he went to the man, and the man took him in, and uh, that's one of my ancestors. I was trying to follow the line. It was a little wiggly. Um, it was my dad's dad's mom's dad's mom's dad's dad. There you go. So anyway, I could put the names in there too, but... But, you know, the ancestors. Anyway, I was, uh, my friend Mustafa, when I asked him to give his genealogy, he would not give it. He just laughed. He's like, he wouldn't do it. And I'm like, what's, you know, why not? He said, well, there was other Somalis there. He said, that can get you killed. If you tell people who you are in their country, that can get you killed. Because you might be from the opposite side, from the other, you know. Um, genealogies are very important, you know. They know them for one thing. They know who they are. They know how far back they go. And, um, but you only, you don't tell just anybody who you are. So we're uh, going to be in Matthew chapter 1 um, tonight. And uh, we see a list of names, people, uh, genealogy. And uh, I, uh, I think it's interesting that Matthew chooses to start out his, 
gospel with a bunch of names. <laughs> now, I think we should spend some time looking at this a little bit. It's from verses 1 through 17. Uh, and, like, what's the point of this? Why, why would Matthew start with a list of names? What's, what do you see here? Let's look at, this, look at the text again and say, okay, what, what in this, these first 17 verses stands out to you? What is either strange or, I don't know, uh, unique? Or what, why is Matthew doing this? Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. What's the, maybe what do you see in the text that you have questions about that seems strange? And then what, why is he doing this? Any thoughts? Okay. For him to be the Messiah, he had to connect David, the son of Abraham, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, that was his. That was the credentials of Jesus Christ. Yep. Okay. So he has an agenda, right? He's trying very specifically to tell people that Jesus is tied to David. Good. It's important, very important. Who's, who is Matthew's audience? Who's he writing to? Jews. The Jews, right? He's very specifically uh, speaking to Jewish people. And there's some other clues in the book of Matthew that can help us identify that. Um, and one of those is his use of the term, uh, there's several things. One is the, his use of the term kingdom of heaven. So Matthew, I think is the only gospel writer that really uses that a lot. He uses kingdom of heaven. The other gospels use kingdom of God more. And I think Nate has talked about this already. And I think, or at least this is what, what I've studied and what I've, I think the reason is, is because he was speaking to a Jewish audience. Now, why, why would you say kingdom of heaven versus kingdom of God if you're speaking to a Jewish audience? Yeah, that's right. So there was such an awe and respect for the name of God, they would, they would actually just you know, leave it out. And so he used heaven instead of God. And I think that's why he did that. Um, there's some other things he, he, he points, he quite often points to the prophets, what the prophets have said. We saw some of that one night in chapter two. Um, so there's several of them in chapter two. And he's, he says that the prophets have said 39 times. He uh, mentions what the prophets have said. Now, why would he do that? Because they were familiar with the prophets, right? The Jewish people would have been familiar with what the prophets were saying, and so he's very specifically trying to tie Jesus to what the prophets had said, what they knew. And uh, he also, very often he quotes from the Old Testament, I think 60 different times. So um, we're bringing that in here to, to highlight that, that he is specifically trying to speak to a Jewish audience. And he starts in here in the first verse saying the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What are some other things here? We're going to talk about that a little more yet, but what are some other things that you, uh, you see here that you have questions about? What does he end up with Joseph? Okay. In the 
And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary. Okay, what's your, keep going. What, what are you thinking? Yeah, that's true. Very interesting. Why did he do that? Uh-huh. Does somebody have an answer for that? I didn't dig into that. Okay. But like you're saying, Joseph wasn't even the father, right? I mean, why would you have 14 or 25 generations uh-huh. finding out with somebody that's totally insignificant? Yeah, that's not even the father. <laughs> uh-huh. Hmm. But yeah, that's, uh, so the, the Jewish geneal- genealogy probably would have usually followed the father's side. Is that what you're saying, John? Mm-hmm. But isn't mom's side somewhere too? I don't know a lot of how all that stuff works. I think Luke does. Luke follows more the other, another line. Mm-hmm. So, and that's an interesting thing in and of itself. Why does Luke give one genealogy and Matthew another one? What's Matthew trying to accomplish with this genealogy? What about the number 14? There's uh, verse... Uh, 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David unto the carrying away unto Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away unto, unto, unto Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. What's the deal with the 14s? 14, 14, 14. You know, if, if we were Jewish uh, rabbis studying this and arguing about it, we would, we would be saying, what in the world does that mean? Why, why, you know, we would be very interested in that, those numbers. <laughs> and we'd be trying to figure that one out and arguing about it and going back and forth and probably coming up with different ideas. But those 14s mean something to, to, to Matthew's audience. Actually, I didn't, of course, dig into this that deeply, but they say that he, Matthew actually left out some people to make it come out to 14. So it's an interesting genealogy. <laughs> he, was, he had a specific, he was trying to do something, he was trying to say something but with those 14s. Um, and I, I suppose there's different ways you could even cut the pie on, on the 14s there, but uh, on what that all means. Why the 14s? What else do you see in the text that is interesting? Well, it's not usually common to women. Yeah, okay. Yeah, which, who are the women? Uh, anybody care to share some of those stories? <laughs> maybe we, we don't want to talk about them in church. These are the, some of these stories are like, you really don't, they're not Sunday school type stories. I mean, you, you, know, you don't want to talk about some of them. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. So yeah, there's some really, really. Uh, some of the stories here are are like, and he wouldn't have even had to include the women. You know, he could have just said so and so begat so and so, and so and so begat so and so begat so and so. But he specifically mentions the women. What is Matthew trying to do here? Mm-hmm. What a story of detail. 
Yeah, what a what a detail to put in the genealogy. I mean, this is yeah, and here Matthew is making that a central introduction to his. Yeah, it's it's just inter, yeah. Why does he do that? Why? What's he? Is that what it is? Yeah. Uh-huh. First of all, the question I you know I want to I start with is why the genealogies, and I think we already talked about that a bit. Like I. I think uh, clearly in the beginning there, he's tying it with David. Um, but another thing that I discovered in some of my studies is that it, it actually echoes back to the, uh, they call it the Tanakh. So I guess that's how they would pronounce it, Tanakh. Um, and that is actually, basi- that's, that's the, basically the Jewish Bible, like their Old, their old Testament. And they break it up in different ways. But the Babylonian Tanakh, I guess you would call it, and then there's also one called the Maseratic text. And I, I haven't dug into these things really, really deeply, so I may, be, I, I may need to be corrected on some of these things. But as I understand it, um, there were... So in the Old Testament, there's, there's two main books that contain genealogies. Um, does somebody know what they might be? Genesis and Chronicles. And what is interesting in the Jewish arrangement, in some of, in some of these arrangements, in the, in the Babylonian and this other one, uh, Genesis is the beginning, Chronicles is at the end. So the two bookends are, have, have, are, are kind of full of, chron- or, or of, of genealogies. Um, that's where you'll find them. And I think it's interesting that Matthew starts in his gospel with, you know, with those genealogies. It, it almost seems like he's tying in with that idea. You know. And in the genealogies, in some of these books, and I, I didn't uh, you know, go into it deeply, but I was, as I was reading some, um, there's, there's often, there's some, one writer called it an ideological message meaning they're trying to communicate something. It's not just a list of names. They're trying to communicate something. So genealogies are not just there to list Benimel, Skid, Stevie's, Chris. You know, they're there to, to accomplish a purpose. And uh, one of the writers was saying that, that one of the, the main um, emphases, I guess you could say, was to legitimize or to, to put David sort of at the center like David being the, uh, the legitimate king um, and his kingship all the way back to the beginning. So David comes out at the center of the genealogies. And I, I, that was an interesting idea that I came across, which I think is, is interesting because that ties in also here with David. You know, the beginning, um, Matthew starts right in with David, connecting Jesus to David, Right. So the genealogies really played a part in speaking to the Jewish mind. You know, if, if, if I would start a book like this, you guys would probably think I'm... Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as the husband of Mary, Joseph 
Okay. That, that I would have to look into a little more. I don't know where to... Yeah, he's definitely he's tying. Yeah, he's tying legally. Okay, so that's good. Mm-hmm. We would omit the genealogy. Mm-hmm. There would be no proof that even Jesus is the Son of God. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we couldn't tie all that those things together. Yeah. If we would not have the genealogy. The genealogies really tie it to, to some other things that we're going to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Ties it to the promises. So isn't it showing the heredity mm-hmm. to the throne? The what? Is heredity to the throne. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And that's what we see right there in the beginning. He's, he's uh, tying him in with David. Now, why, uh, I, why is that important? Why is it important that Jesus is legitimately connected to David? Prophecy. Okay, what are the, what's the prophecy? So it's the promise to David, right? God had, had uh, chosen David as the king. And uh, in 1 Samuel 7, verse 16, it says, In thine house, in thy kingdom, shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. And uh, that's the promise to David. And if you follow those covenants that God made with Noah, Abraham, and David, Mm-hmm. You will find the wording, I will make my covenant with you. Mm-hmm. It's, not, uh, it's not where God and Abraham sat together and made a deal. Mm. It's God making a covenant. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the way it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have the promise to David that your kingdom will be established forever. And your throne will be established forever. Now, uh, I think it was last night we were looking at, here, no, the night before, looking at Herod. And I found it interesting in looking in Matthew chapter 2, um, as Herod was trying to make sense of what was going on. So Herod was the one who was supposed to be the king of the Jews, right? And here's this baby king, and he was troubled with all Jerusalem, if you remember that. And then he went to the chief priests and scribes and gathered them together and demanded of them, where was Christ to be born? They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written of the prophet. This is Matthew saying the prophet, right? Remember what I said? He goes back to the prophet over and over. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And so I think there again you see David clearly tying Jesus to, to the promises, to, to, to the Davidic promises. And I think that's uh, significant. Now, <clears throat> um, 
I think we're probably agreed that Jesus actually fulfilled that, right? That he, he is David's successor. He is the fulfillment of that eternal reign of David. Um, and I, I thought, you know, as, as I was trying to, like, how did the early Christians process this? What did they, what, how did they make sense of all this? And if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke 1, verses 30. Luke 1, 30. Um, and here we have Luke writing the story of the angel meeting Mary. And, and he says here, And the angel said, in verse 30, Unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. Now listen to this. Remember, God had said to David, your throne is going to be established forever. And here, he's very clearly tying Jesus with that promise. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. <laughs> Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. He's the fulfillment, very clearly, Luke is tying Jesus to the fulfillment, or to the continuation, I guess, of that promise. That David, uh, David's lineage, David's, well, they will be on the throne forever. I think that's neat. I love that. I just, I really like that. I, I, I like it because I think sometimes we tend maybe to emphasize Jesus as Savior, and that's, I think, part of a king's role in the Jewish mind. But Jesus is king, and Luke and Matthew are very clearly tying him to kingship. Uh, do we think of him that way? Do we think of Jesus as king? President? <laughs> President Jesus? I don't know. That's, that's significant. Uh huh. Yeah. His reign isn't finished, right? I mean, it's gonna, there's gonna be much, I, I think we've got much more coming. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think there's, 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 there's a sense where he is enthroned as king, or he is, he's been given the throne, but it's not finished yet. There's more, there's more to come, and I don't know what all that is going to look like. But uh, um, <clears throat> another, another scripture in Acts chapter two, um, and what I'm trying to, what I want us to be thinking about is. So back to the painting that we talked about the first night or two. So sometimes there's been, there was an original painting, and there were the people who saw the original painting. And then it gets repainted and repainted and refurbished and whatever over the years, right? And after a while, you're like, okay, what was actually going on? And sometimes I think it's really good for us to go back and say, okay, what were the, what were the early Christians really thinking? What, how did they see this? How did they understand this? Um, and, and, and that's, I, that's what I, I want to be able to do here. So in Acts chapter 2, uh, in verse, this was on the day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching. It's pretty long, actually, so I can't read all of it. But uh, 22 to 36, but if we get down toward, uh, let's see here, it's verse 29, I think. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God 
had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. See what he's saying there. It's very interesting. He's saying that um, David knew this, that Christ was going to sit on his throne. Uh, He's saying he, what does he say? Knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Did David actually see this? That's what he's saying. I don't know. Um, He seeing this before spake of, and this is what he says. He says, he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul should not be left in hell, neither his flesh see corruption. I don't know what that all means, but I, I, like, it's, it's tying in the promise of, of, of David's throne being established forever and the resurrection. And I think there's something, so think about, thinking about Jesus as king, I think these early writers are tying uh, Jesus' time here, his appearance, um, to Jesus' kingship. And here I think he's tying it to the resurrection. Like the resurrection is really maybe, as some people would say, it was the coronation of the king, like when Jesus was really coronated as king. And uh, like we were saying, there's much more to come. Like we're just starting to see it, right? We're just, uh, and, and there's people coming under that kingship and coming under his authority and, and it's exciting. So the God's promise to David. So what, one of the things Matthew is clearly trying to do is tie uh, Jesus to David's kingship. Um, and we also saw there Abraham, God's promise to Abraham. And there again, I, I wish I'd have more time, but um, there's... There's some very interesting scriptures that tie the promise to Abraham to the people coming under the kingship of Jesus. Um, So the people in Galatians 3 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. This is so interesting. Remember the promise to Abraham was that in you all the families, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And here he says, and if ye be Christ's, if, you're, if you are, Christ means what? What's it mean? What? It means uh, Messiah, or it's Christ, Messiah, anointed one, right? So Jesus Christ means Jesus anointed. So if you are the anointed ones, and the anointed that's always connected to kingship, basically, in, the, in, in, in Jewish mind, in the Old Testament. So if ye are the anointed ones, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Uh, I think there, Matthew's trying to say that here in the beginning. He's, he's tying in Jesus' appearance, Jesus' coming, um, with the promise to David and to Abraham. Um, and in Acts 3, again, he brings, they bring in the, that, that promise, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And then it again talks about having raised up Jesus from the dead, or talking about bringing him back from the dead. So I think that uh, Matthew is really trying to tie in those themes of kingship and Jesus being king on David's throne and the fulfillment of Abraham's promise. And anyone who is coming under the reign and authority of the anointed one 
is now considered part of Abraham's seed. They're grafted into the, into, the brand, into, the, into the stump, right? Remember, we just covered that in Romans. They're grafted in. And, and he says, you shouldn't be proud that you've been grafted in because you can easily break your back off again and graft the Jews to graft the other people back in. So any, you know, he can easily do that. But we have been, I think, in Christ, in the anointed one, in, in his kingship, as he, as we come under his, his reign and authority, then we are Abraham's seed. All right, uh, wow. Numbers, what do the 14s mean? Somebody have an idea? What do numbers mean to Jewish people? They're significant. You know, we just think 14, whatever. Uh, but a couple of things here. The number 14 is, what was the Passover, the, the, the day that they killed the Passover lamb? Which day of the month? The 14th. Yeah, it was the 14th, right? Uh, that's interesting uh, with the, the number 14 here. Um, there's also an interesting thing with... There, so uh, Hebrew letters all have a specific number associated with them, or their worth. I don't know. I don't, I don't even understand it completely. But the... the uh, the sum of the Hebrew letters for the name of David are 14. And, you know, for us, we don't even think about this stuff. 14, what's the, we just skip over the numbers. But for a Jewish mind, 14, those kind of things are significant. You know, they start to see those things. The other thing here, and I don't know quite how all this fits in, but there's different theories and different people talking about the seven. So seven is really kind of the number of perfection. It's, uh, the, it was called the divine number of completion. And so... We think about seven in Jewish mind. Uh, the number seven is the days of mourning for Jews. It is the weekly Torah portion. It's divided into seven. And there are seven readers in the Shabbat service. There are seven blessings recited at Jewish weddings. The seventh day is Shabbat. God rested on the seventh day. After seven years of seven, it's going to be what? The, the year of Jubilee, right? Mm -hmm. Where all the land was to rest. The candlestick, the, the candlestick had seven lamps and there were seven sprinklings for purification. So the number seven in uh, Jewish history or whatever is very important. Um, and some people suggest that if you take the 14s, it's actually six sevens. And then Jesus is the start of the seventh, which is the year of rest, the year of Jubilee. <laughs> so you have the... You have the the, the, the six sevens, if you take 14, 14, and 14, that, that actually makes six sevens. And then the next, and Jesus is the beginning of the next, and that is the year of Jubilee. I don't know, that's an interesting thought. I'm not sure how far to take that. I, I don't know if that made sense or not, but um, numbers are significant. <clears throat> now, I want to look a little further at the Jewish concept of a king, and I, I think we've covered this some already, so I don't know how much I'm gonna go into this again, but maybe just highlight it again that the word Messiah means anointed. So whenever you see Messiah or Christ, the word is actually anointed, and that is tied to kingship or priesthood or prophethood, but always, like almost always to kingship. So, um, Jesus, 
I think the uh, biblical writers here are trying to help us think of Jesus as a king. Um, and I think if you combine all this, that in the Jewish mind, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise to King David, which we already did talk about. And it's interesting as well. Now, let me, let me step back. So think about this. Yesterday, we talked about the political situation in Palestine, in that area, in Israel, during the time of Jesus. And, and there was this longing for freedom, for healing, for salvation, right? They wanted salvation. Now, there's a couple things I could, a couple directions I could go with this, but, but think about what they heard when Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. <laughs> the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. It's like, when I think of at hand, it's within reach. It's like, it's like arriving on the scene. It's like when, when they heard that and when they saw what Jesus was doing, they were like, this is it. This, they, were, they, were, they were excited, you know. Now, of course, we, un, we understand that they didn't quite understand it. But in their minds, Jesus was the king that they were waiting for. And he really was, actually. They just didn't quite understand what, what all he was about. Um, and there's, there's some other things connected here to kingship and to the Messiah and to expectations of a Messiah and a king. So the Jewish expectation of of the Messiah was going to be that he would bring justice, he would make right what was wrong, and he would bring salvation. And if you go into the Old Testament, this is so fascinating, the word for salvation, so David talks about the Lord is my strength and my song has become my salvation. Um, David talks a lot about salvation. Now, when David wanted salvation, what was he looking for? What, what kind of salvation did, did he expect? Think about that for a little bit. So when we think of salvation through Jesus, we're thinking in terms of maybe some, I don't know, maybe mystical, spiritual experience, right? Uh, for David, salvation meant actually staying alive, <laughs> uh, being delivered from his enemies who were just over the hill, you know. That, that was his salvation. It was very tangible. It was very physical. There was a physical salvation that he was expecting, and I think in, in the, in the, when Jesus started teaching about these things, even the, words, even the idea of salvation from Jesus, um, there was much more that sense of, of an idea of salvation. Like Jesus actually... Um, so, for example, the word, the word save itself that we read and use in the New Testament, uh, it means... It, it's very physical. It's very... It's, it's actually not very spiritual. Um, it, 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 uh, it, of course, there's a spiritual aspect to it as well, but it's, it's, uh, it means to be made whole, to be restored, to be made right. Um, and if, one example of that is if you see the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years and she was healed, and when she was healed, Jesus said, your faith has sozoed you, has made you sozo." It's the very same word that the angel said to Joseph that you will call his name Jesus because he will sozo his people from their sins. And, and so I think, I think that, that the concept of salvation that we, that we maybe sometimes, I don't know, talk about is, is, was understood differently 
uh, in the early part of the church, uh, from, from, from the, like the apostles and even the early church, I think I mentioned this one other night, but you read the way they processed and understood uh, salvation and some of those things, and it's, it's quite different than the way we think about it sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we say if you pray the prayer, then you're saved, or if you believe in Jesus, then you're saved. And, and that's true, of course, you know, but, but what is that salvation? Like, what does that actually mean? Um, and, and I think there's much more of a, I think if we thought of it maybe more from a Jewish mindset, and the way the early Christians were thinking about it, there's much more of a physical aspect to it, a very, like, cosmic, I don't know. Jesus, uh, John actually said, for God so loved the cosmos. I mean, what's the cosmos? I think I've said this before here. The cosmos is the created world. He loved the cosmos. God loved the cosmos? Like, come on, did he actually? Um, God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son. And, and so I think there's an aspect in the New Testament that we often miss that is very cosmic in nature. Like salvation from a Jewish mindset is very like tangible. It's, it's, you can feel it and experience it and live in it. And, and, and when Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they were looking and expecting and hoping for that kind of physical restoration. And I think that's actually what Jesus came to do. By the way, the word salvation in Hebrew, is Yeshua. And I think that is so fascinating. So when David was saying, you have become my Yeshua, that's the word for Jesus, right? You've become my salvation. Um, and tying all of those, I don't know how to tie all those, all of those ideas together, the whole thing of being delivered from his enemies and God being that salvation and the word being Yeshua, those are some really neat concepts to tie together. So I think uh, Jesus is king. And he's calling us into allegiance with him, under him. And uh, there's a very, uh, I, and I, I, again, I think from, a, from, from an early Christian mindset, salvation is very cosmic in nature, very physical. And I honestly think we should think about that more. Because I think we tend to think of salvation as more of a spiritual experience rather than cosmic transformation of a real life. I mean, I think we actually believe that, but sometimes we talk about it differently. Um, I actually think it's the only way Anabaptism makes sense if we understand salvation from that perspective. And I think that's what has actually shaped our people, that we've believed that salvation is a whole life experience. It's a whole transformation of the person. It's a bringing back to life. It is that making whole, being sozoed, like the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, and I think that is much more of, of an early Christian and even coming out of that Jewish perspective. So that's enough. Let's pray. Father, we want to be sozoed, uh, both in our hearts and in our lives. And we pray that you would make us the kind of people that truly love you and seek after you with all of our hearts. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be here and to learn. And thank you for the promises fulfilled in Jesus. And for the promises that are going to continue to be fulfilled, we thank you that we get to experience just the, the start of your beautiful, amazing kingdom. And we look forward to what's coming and what we're going to be able to participate in um, here on this earth uh, for all of eternity. Lord, we love you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.